Well, we are going to continue on with uh, prayer and the writings of the Apostle Paul, at least for this morning. Tomorrow morning, we're going to be looking into Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. So I would encourage you throughout uh, the course of the day to get a chance to read the ninth chapter of Daniel. And uh, there are many wonderful thoughts that can be uh, drawn from that prayer, and not only from the prayer, but also from the answer to Daniel's prayer. His prayer is wonderful, the answer to prayer is also wonderful, and we thank the Lord for it. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with us this morning to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, there are at least two or three passages that I want to examine with you today. Uh, we'll begin here, and we're going to go into 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then we're going to go into Philippians chapter 4, which is certainly a portion we would not want to miss when we're dealing with the subject of prayer, because it has such a wonderful and a glorious meaning to it. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 18, we are instructed to be praying always. To be praying always. We have noted that the Lord was a man of prayer, uh, the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. And I know that as we study the great men of the Bible, that they have been found to be great men, and also the women, the great women of the Bible, they have been men and women of prayer. Now, we are instructed to be praying always. Now, I said to you earlier in our study that prayer is as much an attitude as it is a position. And we can be in an attitude of prayer throughout the course of any given day. We can be praying while we're driving along the highways. We can be praying while we are at work. We can be praying when we are busy about the things that we may have around the house. I'm certain that many prayers have gone up from the kitchen sink by a mother or a wife praying for the children, praying for her husband, that many prayers have gone up from the kitchen sink even while she was doing dishes. And uh, we thank the Lord again, as we've already stated, that God is always accessible to us. And Paul instructs the believers to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And I think we need to realize that, that our prayers are also to be motivated by the Spirit. Those of you who have perhaps read over that track now by George Mueller, I trust that you received a blessing from it because he realized that his prayer life was enhanced through his study in the Word of God. We cannot even pray intelligently or accurately without a knowledge of God's Word. Now, we can pray in some areas to be sure. But in other areas, if we do not have a knowledge of the Word of God, our prayers are not going to be in the Spirit. They're oftentimes going to be in the flesh. It has been said that many times man will set up his program and then ask God to bless his program. Instead of looking to the Lord and seeing what the Lord wants us to do and then doing what he wants us to do where we know the blessings are going to be. And so oftentimes we're asking God to bless our efforts rather than to bring ourselves into agreement with his uh, will and with his purpose. So we are told then to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto. I think perhaps in the lives of many of God's people that we oftentimes pray, but we oftentimes fail to watch. When you exercise the privilege of prayer, do you believe that God might answer that prayer? Or are you sometimes surprised and amazed that God does answer prayer? And I wouldn't doubt that this might be true in the lives of many people. We pray, and then we go away and forget all about what we prayed for. But not only are we to be praying, but we are also to be watching we not only have a God who hears, but we have a God who answers. And I think this is a difficult thing for us because this is an exercise of faith. God does hear, God does answer, 
and he instructs us not only to be praying but also to be watching and we are to be persevering and then he goes on to say in suppl and supplication for all saints you know if a child is growing up their prayers are quite limited usually it's God bless mommy God bless daddy God bless brother and sister and God bless the little dog or whatever you know and that may be the extent of their prayer but as they get a little bit older their prayers begin to expand I wonder how broad our prayer ministry is today uh, is our prayer ministry oftentimes confined to our own little groups our own little areas of life and we forget the many saints of God throughout this world uh, missionaries I know missionaries I was reading a, a book recently prayer without pretense the missionary had attended a church and they told the missionaries that they were praying for them but as they held the meeting at the church and they uh, fielded the questions from the people afterwards the questions the people were asking the missionaries realized they they were not at all following what the the activities of the missionaries were uh, questions that they should have known the answers to by the letters that had been written back by the material that had been sent back and these people were asking questions that they should have all known and they realized that really these people were not upholding them in prayer and it came to them as quite a shock quite a shock how often have we said to someone I'm going to be praying for you and we see them maybe a year later or whatever and we think uh oh if my, my prayers are the only ones they've been getting they haven't had much support have they and so we are to be praying for all saints not just those within our own little group those within our own little circle but uh, our prayer ministry is to be a broad ministry for the members of the body of Christ now if you will uh, let's go to Paul's letter to Timothy we have alluded to this in some of our previous statements in 1st Timothy chapter 2 and prayer really has more than one aspect to it in 1st Timothy chapter 2 beginning with verse 1 I exhort therefore that first of all supplications prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men now the word translated prayers here is the word that is generally used by Paul when dealing with prayer but we find that there are other words that are here as well supplications intercessions and giving of thanks prayer is the avenue that brings us into the presence of God and then our prayers may take on these different aspects we may have a ministry of supplication uh, bringing others before the Lord uh, realizing the need that they have there may be the prayer of intercession always to be the prayer of giving of thanks and that notice again Paul said that this is to be made for all men then in verse 2 for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty and I think it might be good for us to underline the last part of verse 2 that we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty Now that's the way the Lord wants us to live isn't it he wants us to live a godly life he wants us to live in such a manner in verse 3 for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth now prayer for the unsaved is biblical prayer for the unsaved is that which God instructs us to do now we are to be praying for their salvation many a child has been saved through listening to the prayers of mother and dad even perhaps when the parents did not realize the children were around maybe mother and dad were in prayer and the children were gone and they came home while mother and dad were praying and they've heard mother and dad pleading before the Lord for the salvation of their son or for the salvation of their daughter or their children uh, certainly Mrs. Wesley is one known 
in, in Christian history for having been a woman of prayer that uh, prayed for her children and God greatly used her in the lives of each one of her children. There is something else I want you to realize I think is precious in this thought. In verse 4, we find that it is God's will for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves your children more than you do. God loves your children more than you do. God loves you more than anyone else here on this earth. No one can love you like God loves you. And we always have that consolation that even though we may be separated by hundreds or even a thousand miles from our children, from our loved ones, that we have a God who is personally present with them because they are saved and a God who loves them even more than we love them because they belong to him. There is a thought, too, in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve had sinned, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, no one can hide themselves from the omnipresence of God. No one can. The psalmist said, If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I descend into Hades, thou art there. No one can hide themselves from the omnipresence of God. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, God sees and God knows. But it is possible for us to escape the personal presence of God. Now, Adam and Eve could not hide from the omnipresence of God. God knew where they were. But they were trying to escape the personal presence of God. The unbeliever today is never out of the omnipresence of God. But the unbeliever does not enjoy the personal presence of God. But you and I not only have a God who knows what we are doing, we have a God who is with us personally. We enjoy the personal presence of God in our lives. And oftentimes when we pray for our daughter and her husband in Florida, we thank God for his personal presence with them. And whether it be those that we may be praying for in Zaire, Africa, or in the Philippine Islands, or in India, or Japan, or some other part of the world, we know that God is personally present with every member of the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, I get a lot of comfort out of that. That even when we realize we can't be with our loved ones, we know that we have a God who is there, and a God who loves them more than we do in a God who has their interest at heart even more than we do. And we can just commit them to him. And we know that as they yield and submit and surrender their hearts and lives to our Lord, it is going to do wonderful work in their lives. So we find then here that it is God's will, in verse 4, who will have all men to be saved. I believe that, my dear friend. I believe that with all my heart. There isn't a man, a woman, a young person, a boy or a girl alive on the face of this earth today that God does not will to be saved. And there is not a person on this earth today that Jesus Christ has not died for. I believe that. And I can talk to any man, I can talk to any woman, I can talk to any young person, any boy or girl, and I can tell them that God loved them so much that he sent Christ into the world to die for them and through an act of faith, they will become a child of God. Notice again, Paul says these are the things we're to be praying for. If you have an unsaved loved one, I trust that you're praying for them. Do you pray for your children if they're not saved? Are you praying daily before God that somehow the Lord will touch their hearts and lives and use whatever means is necessary to bring them to the place where they will trust Christ as Savior and Lord? If you have an unsaved mate, are you praying for that unsaved mate? I had a, a young girl this morning at our breakfast table ask me, she said, Pastor, uh, my mother is not saved. 
She said, what can I do to tell my mother about the Lord? She, she told me yesterday, she talked to her mother. She said, what can I do to reach my mother for the Lord? And I said, you can be the best Christian girl you know how to be. That's first. You be the best Christian girl you know how to be. And then you use every opportunity you have to tell your mother about God's love. If you as a husband have an unsaved wife, the way to reach your wife for the Lord is to live for the Lord. To manifest the Christ life before her. Peter addresses himself to this concerning the wife who has an unbelieving husband. And the unbelieving husband is to be one, not through rhetoric, but through the life. And I think we need to learn that, brethren, that what we do does indeed speak louder than what we say. And if we have a life consistent with our profession, we will have a greater opportunity to reach that unsaved loved one for the Lord. And we can sometimes drive people away by constantly badgering them, so to speak, about salvation. And we need to be living the life that they might see Christ in us and Christ through us. When I was a young lad, long, long time ago, I was uh, working at Heavy Duty Electric and I was, was working at American Excelsior, I should say, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, I was a machinist there, and a young lad came up to me. He was quitting the shop and leaving the shop. And he was a big Holland boy. He walked over to me and he said, Floyd, he said, I just want you to know that as I leave the shop, he said, I want to thank you for your Christian life and your Christian testimony. He said, I've watched you very, very close. And I tell you, I could have gone through the floor. I hadn't realized that he was watching me that close. But I did say, thank you, Lord, that I hadn't done anything to be a hindrance in his life. You see, if we're to reach the unsafe for the Lord, we need to live for the Lord. We need to glorify the Lord in our lives. It's not just a matter of giving out the word. That's important. I understand that. But our lives also must be consistent with our words as well. And so we find it's God's will then for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then I want you to note in verse 6, well, verses 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? For all. Not a ransom for few, but he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. I thank the Lord again for that. To me, the greatest blessing, the greatest privilege that I have as a pastor in teaching the Pauline revelation is the all-inclusiveness of God concerning those who are without Christ. Some of the most glorious truths that God has revealed to men are found in 2 Corinthians 5. God was in Christ reconciling or conciliating the world unto himself. Christ Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. This is the heart of Paul's message. This is the heart of the gospel that God gave to the apostle Paul. In Matthew, and in, in the gospel records, as I've pointed out before, the twelve were commissioned, go not into the way of the Gentiles, enter ye not into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Brethren, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on this earth, and I state it again, he did not come to seek and to save out the Gentiles or the nations. He came out to seek and to save that which was lost of Israel, the nation. And there's a reason for it. There are two things we must realize that all the way back in the book of Genesis, at the Tower of Babel, when God gave the nations up at that point and called out Abram and began a new purpose or a new program 
with Abram from that point on until Paul receives his revelation the Gentiles are without God, without Christ, without hope, without covenant, without promise. And you can search your scriptures and you'll find that to be an accurate statement. But when we come to the revelation of Paul, you know, many talk about a message for the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. If they would study these statements in context, they would find out they're saying something entirely different than what God is saying. Because when they said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the gospel in that day was he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That was the gospel. And this gospel was still limited beginning at Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth and the twelve apostles never did evangelize the world. And we could get into a, a study on that but that's not our purpose. Our purpose is prayer. Our purpose is the fact that God instructs us today be praying for all men for the salvation of all and God tells us that he has made provision for all to be saved. So you and I need to be true prayer warriors when it comes to the salvation of the lost. And especially because they affect us so much, the salvation of our loved ones and those that we know so dearly. Then another passage, and I've mentioned this before in the book of Philippians, dealing again with prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, and I'm certain that this is a portion that you've heard many times, you've used many times, but I want to look at it again today in the light of what we've been stating. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me state again, no believer out of fellowship with God is going to be a rejoicing believer. No believer out of fellowship with God is going to be a rejoicing believer. They're not going to be rejoicing in the Lord. And I think we're going to see this also as we go along. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation or your dispos disposition be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's close by. Now there are two thoughts to this. It could either have reference to the fact that the Lord is close by or that the catching up of the church is close by. Both of them are taught. The Lord is at hand. He's close by. Or the Lord is at hand. He could come at any moment. And we have that hope today, don't we? We have it at least in principle, if not in practice. Because I think it's easy for every one of us, even though we believe that the Lord may come at any moment, at any time, really not to be putting this into practice every day. Uh, I suppose I'm as guilty as many others. Now, I did not get up this morning believing, well, today may be the last day. I know it could well be. But I did not get up with that attitude that today the Lord may come, the church may go up to glory. Now, I know that's true. Say, I know it in principle, but I'm not so sure I always do it in practice. If you knew today for a fact, let's say that we could uh, set time, and we're not going to do that, I'm not a prophet, <laughs> but let's say that at 10 o'clock this evening, the Lord Jesus Christ was going to descend from heaven with a shout in the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ would be raised first. Brother Paul Sadler said that includes him, but I heard one person say, somebody say one time, they knew their church was going to be the first ones in the rapture on that basis because it did say the dead in Christ would be raised first and they thought their church was about as dead as any. But uh, uh, if we would say tonight at 10 o'clock the Lord is going to come and take us into his presence forever, what would we do throughout the day? Would that change your plans? 
<laughs> it, it might change our plans just a little bit, wouldn't it? And yet that possibility exists, doesn't it? That possibility exists. So what I am saying, and I think what the Lord is trying to tell us, is that you and I should be living every day as though he may come. The Lord is at hand. He's close by. Now I can take that two ways. I can take it as far as the rapture, which I know is true, or I can take it as far in the fact that the Lord is always with me. He's always at hand. He's always close by. I'm never alone. Uh, the Lord is not like David. You remember? David committed sin with Bathsheba. And David took her husband, put him up, had him put into the heat of the battle, and what did they do? They withdrew from him, didn't they? They left him there in the heat of the battle. The Lord doesn't do that to you, my dear friend. If you go into the battle with the Lord, he's not going to desert you. He's going to see you through. The Lord never will desert you. Others may. Others may. No doubt you've been disappointed in people different times. Maybe you've been disappointed in preachers. They too are human. But we'll never be disappointed in the Lord. He's always at hand. He's always faithful. And then in verse 6, be careful for nothing or don't be full of care. Don't be full of care for anything or let nothing be worrying you. Don't be anxious about anything. Now how many of you believe that to be a scriptural truth? How many of you practice it? <laughs> we know it, don't we? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be worrying about anything. Some say, well, I'm not really worried. I'm just deeply concerned. <laughs> and yet, Scripture tells us, don't let anything be troubling us. Don't let anything be worrying us. Well, how can we possibly put that to practice? Well, he tells us, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto who? unto God. Why unto God? Because God's above the circumstances. Oftentimes we're under the circumstances. God is above the circumstances. Let your requests be made known unto Him. Now I stated earlier, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, that only the believer who's really in fellowship with God is going to be the rejoicing believer. I don't believe we can truly put this verse to practice in our lives unless our lives are right before the Lord. I don't believe we can truly put this verse to practice in our lives unless our lives are right before the Lord. You see, it's only as I am walking in close fellowship with Him that I'm going to have the absolute confidence that all things truly do work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are the called according to His purpose. So it's as I'm walking in close harmony with Him and in close fellowship with Him that I can have this peace and this assurance and this confidence that no matter what happens, God is still in control. It may not be to my liking, but I can have peace even in a time of trouble. Uh, a great pastor in England years ago, uh, I always have a problem remembering his name, and I was thinking about it earlier this morning, and maybe it'll come to me. Charles Spurgeon is the man I'm thinking about. I uh, read recently in a book dealing with his ministry, he was a man that went through a great deal of spiritual depression in his ministry, emotional depression. And one time, when he was going through a real time of deep depression, he spoke on the subject, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now he knew, of course scripturally, that God had not forsaken him, but he felt 
that he was forsaken. And he spoke that night on that subject and of course brought in the gospel of salvation. And he said afterward a man came up to him and he said as he looked into the eyes of this man he could see that this man was as close to being insane as any man he'd ever seen. And he said to Spurgeon that night he said you're the first man that has ever been able to relate to my circumstances. And Spurgeon talked to that man about the Lord that night. Didn't see him again for a number of years. The next time he saw that man, that man was healthy and strong and succeeding in business. And he asked that man, he said, what about it back there that night when you came and I talked with you? He said, was it real? He said, Brother Spurgeon, it was real. That night God turned my heart and turned my life around. But you see, Spurgeon, in that time of deep depression, was an instrument that God used to reach this man that may not have been reached in any other way. And Spurgeon said, I would never desire to go through it again unless I could be guaranteed the same results. Now, when we go through testings, they're never easy, are they? They never are. Scripture tells us that. But when we look to the Lord and we truly trust Him as we're going through these times of testings and these times of trials, when we get on the other side and we look back, we thank God for what He accomplished through them. Not that we would choose to go through them again, but nonetheless we realize that we have learned a great deal through the testings and through the trials. You see, Paul is not telling us here that God will not allow us to be tested. Matter of fact, I think God does test us. How do you know how strong your faith is until you've gone through a little testing? And I think this is a principle we find throughout the Scriptures. God tested Israel in the Garden of Eden. It was a test to Adam and Eve when that tree was there in the midst of the garden. A test whether or not they were going to trust God and be content in the position that God had given them or if they were going to turn from the Lord. They failed the test. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, he passed the test into. Satan tempted him. Tried to, tried to turn him away from the cross of Calvary. Christ said, not my will but thy will be done. Did he suffer? Ah, he surely did. The author of Hebrews said, though he were son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. In sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Our Lord went through great sufferings, but he passed the test. I'm afraid, brethren, there have been times in my own life I failed the test. I've turned to the arms of the flesh instead of to the power of God. But we just pray that the next time the testings come, we're going to have a little bit more spiritual wisdom, a little bit more spiritual understanding, and the next time we're going to pass the test. You see? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, when you and I are where we should be spiritually before the Lord, I think the requests that we're going to make are those that we've looked at already in Paul's prayers. For spiritual blessings, for spiritual insight, for spiritual understanding. I think this is what Paul is dealing with here. He's not saying to you and to me, that if we go to God and we request from God a $50,000 home, that God's going to give us that request. I believe what Paul is saying to us, if we go to the Lord and things are hard, and we say, Lord, make me content with whatever I have, God's going to give me the contentment. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Godliness with contentment. And brethren, it's hard for us to be content because we have so much. Years ago, when we were ministering down in, um, near Middleton, Tennessee, we were staying at a home of a pastor and his wife, and they'd 
been through some real testings, been through some real trials. But while we were there, they received a package. It was a, a package of, of a few items that somebody had sent to them, realizing they might have a need. And uh, this pastor's wife opened up the package, and here was a can opener in that package. Just, just a regular old can opener. Wasn't a fancy one. And she opened that package up, and she turned to her husband. Oh, she said, look, brother, what God has sent us. Look what God has sent us. I wonder how many of us would say, praise the Lord for a can opener. <laughs> Not too quickly, would we? You see, contentment. It's hard for us to learn contentment. The world is offering better, better things. At least from outward appearances. Contentment. How can I be content with what I have? I can be content with what I have when I realize my citizenship belongs to the heavenlies. And I'm down here not for my glory, but for the glory of God. I'm down here not to see what I can get for Floyd Baker. I'm down here to see what I can do for the glory of God in reaching men and women for the Lord and in teaching them and instructing them in the Word of God. See, so I think we have to realize what Paul is saying. Be careful. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now, if, if I would receive a letter like this from some of these television preachers that are taking in $55 million a year and more, I would say, what do they know? But this is coming from a man who is in prison. And if you want to read about his life, you go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I tell you, it's going to impress you that this man knows what he's talking about. He could be content in prison for the Lord. And I like what one pastor said one time. It wasn't Paul who was chained between the guards. It was the guards who were chained to Paul. And how would you like to have been one of those guards with Paul? Well, wouldn't that be a, worth a day's pay and then some? You know, they probably got time and a half or whatever they paid back then. But then he goes on. With prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Now, we've talked about that before. But we need to be a thankful people. But we're not always thankful. We're sometimes like Israel, aren't we? We murmur, we complain, we're never satisfied. We're not always thankful. Our society is not a thankful society. Why? People who are on welfare are marching, you know, it's not fair to us. We're not getting enough. They're not thankful for what, for what they get. Well, are we thankful? We should be a thankful people. And so again, it's with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And I like verse 7. The peace of God. The peace of God. I've often thought of the gospel record that told about our Lord and the disciples and our Lord was sleeping down in the hold of the ship and outside of the ship the waves were rolling the storm was a blowing and the disciples they looked at that and they thought sure this was the end we're going down and see Davy Jones you know and they came down and they said Lord don't you care that we perish and our Lord went out and he just simply said peace be still and the wind just died right down. And the water became like glass. And the apostle said, what kind of a man is this? Listen, my dear friend, God can give you peace in a time of trouble. One lady said to me as she was at the funeral service of her mother, she said, Pastor, I just don't understand totally the peace that I have, but I have such perfect peace. Even though my mother has gone to be with the Lord, I've got perfect peace. And when the testings and the trials come, God will give us peace. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. I don't understand it. God promises it. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. But let's go on. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall garrison your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. 
God's going to give us emotional peace. God's going to give us mental peace. God's going to give us spiritual peace. It's going to be there. This is a promise. This is what God has declared. Now, do we truly believe it? You see, this is what we keep coming back to, isn't it? We know it in uh, principle, but do we know it in practice? And I'm certain today, for many of you here, you can say to me, yes, Pastor Baker, I have experienced such peace in my life. I found it. Not always, maybe. See, sometimes we go back to worrying a little bit, don't we? Sometimes we go back to being anxious. We don't know what the future holds, and we get deeply concerned, not realizing that he knows all about tomorrow. He knows all about the days ahead. We don't. I don't know what's going to happen by the end of this day. But God does. Then notice verse 8. And how fitting this is. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't it marvelous how he knew exactly what men need? And like I've said so often, you know, the Bible is not a book of questions. It's a book of answers. When I study 1 Corinthians with all of its problems, I don't study it to see the problems. I study it to see the answers that are in 1 Corinthians. And the Bible is a book of answers. It's God's answer book to our needs each day. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, what? True. True. How much of what the world puts on television today is true? How many of these books you read are true? Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, if your mind and heart is filled today with the things of the world, you're not going to have peace. There's not much peace in this old world. And so there, God instructs us. I can't simply go to the Lord and pray and have that peace. Now I've got to put to practice what he tells me in his word. I've got to begin to think on these things. The things that God instructs me. But he doesn't even stop there. In verse 9 he goes on. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do. It isn't just enough to go to the Lord in prayer. God says there are some things I must do also. If I come to him in prayer, I've got to get my mind where it belongs. I've got to think on the right things. And then I've got to take the things that I've heard and seen or read and seen from the life of the Apostle Paul and I've got to put them into practice. You see, I can't kneel down and pray to the Lord and ask God for peace and then run out and join the world and expect to have peace. God doesn't promise peace in those situations. God says I'm going to have peace when my life is in harmony with His will. And I keep coming back to that word will because, brethren, there's nothing that you and I have a greater battle with in our lives than our will. And it begins ever so early, doesn't it? It begins with that child when just a little one. And as that child grows up, there becomes a conflict between the will of the child and the will of the parent. Whose will is strongest? And many, many times we find that the child wins out over the parent. That that child's will is stronger than the parent's will, and the child wins out. And so we take that will. Somebody made an interesting observation. I hadn't heard it before. I think there's some good merit to it. Somebody made the observation that as you bring up your children, and you teach them discipline, you teach them obedience, you're teaching them how to be saved. Because if they cannot learn submission to the parents, 
it's going to be much harder for them ever to learn submission to the Word of God. I think that's sound. I've not heard that before, but I appreciate that. I think that's good advice. And I think as parents, those of you who have the privilege of bringing up your children, listen. Enjoy your children while you can. They grow up so quick. You just can't believe how fast these kids grow up. And it isn't long and your house is going to be empty. And you're going to wish that you had a little noise back in there again. You're going to wish sometimes you had somebody in there. Well, of course, most of you wives have got a husband like I am. Don't have to worry about too much of a mess. The wife seems to get that anyhow. We have a way of keeping her busy in that area. Uh, but your children grow up so quickly. So buy up the opportunities you have. Bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This is God's instructions to you. Bring them up. Don't let your children grow up like weeds. You bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. And you do this two ways, as we've already noted. You do it by example, and you do it by teaching. Now, your children are going to follow your example. They surely shall. I can still remember our daughter when she was little, how she just loved to... get a hold of the little truck. Why, they're just like Dad, aren't they? They're driving that truck just like Dad does. Children are great imitators. Are great imitators. And when you see yourself in your child, does it please you? Or does it scare you sometimes? Yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Uh, one fellow said to me, I'd say to my sons, don't do like I do, do as I say. Oh, it isn't going to work. Because they're going to put as much value on spiritual things as you do, and maybe even a little less. Because every generation, it almost would seem that they're, we lose a little bit, don't we? We trust not, we pray not, because it need not be that way. But it does work out that way so often. All right, in verse 9 then, we find those things which you have both learned and received and heard in me see, in me do. Do them. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, we started out with the peace of God, and we end up here with the God of peace. We start out with the peace of God and we end up with the God of peace. Uh, I believe it was C.H. McIntosh in one of his writings said, when I was first saved, I came to enjoy the peace of God. He said, the longer I walked with the Lord, I enjoyed the God of peace. The God of peace shall be with you. And isn't it wonderful to have peace in this old world in which we're living? Not too many years ago, many of our young people were running around the country shouting, Peace now, peace now, peace now. There will not be peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes. But there can be peace in your heart. There can be peace in your life. You can enjoy that peace today. You can enjoy that peace right now. I'm not saying you're not going to have testings. They'll, they'll come. Every one of us go through them. We're not any different, my dear friend. We're going to have the testings. We have an enemy that's going to do everything he can to try and hinder us. But besides that, God will allow certain things. Now keep in mind, God never, God never will tempt you with sin. Whenever a man is tempted of sin, it comes from his own heart and lust. Don't you think for a moment God will ever put you into a situation and tempt you with sin. God never does that. The enemy might. But God won't. Satan will always tempt you to fall. God will always test you to stand. God never gives a test in order for you to fall. Every test that God allows is for you to stand and for your spiritual growth. Every time the adversary will test you, it will be to fall. Not for your spiritual growth. 
So keep in mind that testings or temptation by sin never comes from God. But testings do come from the Lord to enable us to grow spiritually in our lives. And that's why I think Paul warned about putting a novice into a place of authority. Lest Satan somehow get the advantage. Lest they get puffed up. You know what I thank God for? And for you young people, what you need to realize in your life, one of the greatest blessings you can ever have as a Christian young person is to get close to some older person who loves the Lord. Some veteran. Someone who bears the scars of the years of battle for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you young people want a blessed privilege, you get close to someone that's older, that loves the Lord, that bears the scars of the spiritual battle, and your heart will be blessed over and over again. My heart continually is blessed by those who are older than I, that have been through the battle, who have been through the struggle, and are just waiting now for the home going. Waiting now for the day of their release. For the time of their departure. But as you look at their lives and you examine their lives. And you realize they've been through the fire. They've been through the testings. They've been through the trials. They've been through the tribulations. They bear the marks of the battle. But ah, they're strong spiritually. What a blessing it is. And what a joy it is. I'm not impressed too much. And I want to be understood correctly in this. I'm not impressed too much oftentimes with how a person begins. I've seen some people begin very well. But five years down the line they're just not there any longer. It's not how you begin that counts. It's how you finish the race. And if you're here today and you're perhaps in your late teens, your early 20s or 30s, if you live to be 60, 70 years of age or older, just realize how many years you have ahead of you to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen young people start like a ball of fire. But after a while I've looked around and wondered where did they go? Somehow the fire went out. And they just became one of the other ones. No, it's not how we begin that counts. Though we need a good foundation. It's how we end. It's where we are at the end of the race. At the end of the battle. At the end of the struggle. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Lest having preached... To others, I myself should become disqualified. The aged apostle, when he writes to young Timothy in the last letter, writes about the fact that Demas hath forsaken him. In his first letter to Timothy, all in Asia had forsaken him. But he writes in the last part of chapter 4 there in 2 Timothy, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. Sometimes you're going to stand alone. My dad, now 84 years of age, said to me not very long ago, he said it before, he said, Son, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more lonesome the road becomes. The longer you walk with the Lord and the closer you walk to the Lord, the more lonesome the road becomes. Because too many things in this life draw and attract people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It doesn't stop there. Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. 
and the God of peace shall be with you. The Christian life is not an inactive life, it's an active life. It's not passive, it's active. And you and I need to be active in our lives. We started out the first part of the week telling you that prayer is not to bring God's will into conformity to ours, but to bring our will into conformity to God's. The young missionary and his wife who were with us some time ago gave this testimony. He said, Lord, he said, I'll be a missionary for you anywhere in the world, but not in Zaire, Africa. Lord, I'll go anywhere as you want, but not Africa. You know where he and his wife were preparing to go? Africa. That's right. Why? He came to the place where he said, Lord, not my will, but your will. Lord, if you want me in Zaire, I'll go to Zaire. No matter where you want me, Lord, I'm willing to go. Young lady we knew years ago from California. Who is a Christian? Love the Lord. Say, Lord, I'll serve you anywhere you want me to in the United States. I don't want to go on the mission field. And when we met her, she was out getting her money to go to the mission field. You see, she too came to the place in her life when she said, Lord, not my will, but your will. You see, as she prayed, what happened was not that God was bring, being brought into conformity to her will, but she was being brought into conformity to God's will. You see what prayer is all about today? It's not making demands of God. It's not asking God for all the material things of life. Those things that may easily draw us away from Him. Those things that might be a hindrance to our spiritual lives. God has given to us prayer for the purpose of bringing our lives into conformity to His will and to His Word. That we might become more Christ-like in our lives. Which can God use the most? The miracle of raising someone up who may be in a wheelchair and giving them new arms or new legs or whatever it might be? Or can God use somebody in a wheelchair who loves the Lord, who has a pleasing personality, a loving personality, despite their handicap? Who do you think God can use the most? Do you realize, my dear friends, that the cities in which Jesus Christ performed the greatest miracles have the greater condemnation? No, seeing is not believing. Our Lord performed more miracles on this earth than anyone else ever did or ever shall. Miracles never seen before by men. You know what they said? Nail him to the cross. Crucify him. Did they believe? No, they did not believe. Some came for the loaves. They came for the fishes. But not for the Lord. And so we find then that miracles are really not what draw people to the Lord. It's the word of God. Clean back in the book of Luke. And we'll close. We're already over time. But back in Luke 16. Where we have the record of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man says, Lord... Send somebody back to tell my brethren that they do not come here. You know what our Lord said? Our Lord said if they did not believe Moses, they would not believe the one was raised from the dead. My dear friend, if you're not willing to believe the word of God today, if you're not willing to believe this book today, you'll never believe. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. Faith doesn't come through miracles. Faith comes through the word. Not through the miracles. This has been proven over and over again in the scriptures. Maybe you've got a question or a comment before we
close this out. If some of you have to go, you may. But uh, if any of you others have questions or comments, we'll be more than happy to uh, consider them. Uh, tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be looking into Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's prayer, and uh, the answer to that prayer as well. So you read Daniel 9 over between now and tomorrow. And don't forget, later on this afternoon, we'll continue our discussion there too. Anyone a comment or a question? Yes. You mentioned about parents' discipline leads is a preliminary for salvation. I've always had a kind of an order of discipline that is discipline to parents, parental obedience, and then self obedience was the next level, and obedience to God was third and highest. Okay, very good. Anyone else? Yes. Okay. The prayer of faith. All right. We'll pick that up this afternoon then. Okay. Okay, thank you much.